We see in a very simple definition, grace in simple terms is God's unmerited favor. Many of us get that. Unmerited. You can't earn it. Right? And supernatural enablement and empowerment for salvation and for daily sanctification. Right? Quote that we've seen a lot. The principle of grace is as fundamental to Christianity as that of justice is to law or love is to marriage. Christianity cannot, cannot be understood apart from an adequate grasp of grace. The doctrine of grace distinguishes the Christian faith from every other religion in the world, as well as from the cults. Rightly understood and applied, the doctrine of grace can revolutionize, revolutionize one's Christian life. Right? If you understand grace... Suddenly your Christianity isn't just about having said a prayer, what we call the, the, the sinner's prayer, you know, whatever prayer you might call it, and then trying to follow Jesus with the best of intentions and just struggling along. That's the way a lot of us view Christianity. Well, I put my faith in Jesus, now I just got to live in my own best efforts until I reach the pearly gates, right? No, you understand grace? Before you leave here this morning again, it can revolutionize everything. In fact, we showed this diagram last week, right? Grace is really at the center. If you're a believer, grace is at the center of every area of your life. Every area of your life. Now, biblical faith involves those three elements we've talked about before. Knowledge, which means you've got to understand it. Just what does the Bible teach? Ascent, which means the level of agreement with it, and then trust. And that's where it gets sticky for many of us. Do you really trust that that power is right there? Or are you going to learn something today, agree with something today, and then leave here and just trust in your own abilities again? Do you really believe that God's supernatural grace is sufficient, as we've been looking? Is sufficient for whatever you're going through or will go through. Maybe you're in the middle of something right now, and you're going to be challenged to trust God's grace in it. Right? The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths, right? I love that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. How many of us, if we go through something in our life, we immediately what? Lean on our own understanding. Try to figure it out. I got this. I got this. I know how to fix this. I know how to do this. Right? But the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. So the challenge for us, even in grace, is to lean not... On your own understanding, lean not on your own strength, but to lean and rest fully on what? God's grace. God's grace. In 2 Corinthians 12, we've seen the Apostle Paul. He had been given these incredible supernatural revelations. He'd been taken up to what he calls the third heaven. Right? And he shares it. And these, these revelations were so supernatural, so miraculous that there, you know, God knew that yeah, this might puff him up a little bit. This might give the Apostle Paul a big head, right? So in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We looked at this passage last Sunday. That word thorn isn't a rosebush thorn. It's a stake. It's a railroad stake. He had been given a thorn. He was tormented. The word tormented means be beat. It's bad. He had been given a thorn. He's being tormented. This is a bad situation. He's struggling. He's coming to the end of himself. He doesn't know what to do. Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times. How many of you ever prayed more than three times for God to take something away? Right? Three times. In fact, some people think that the word three is actually a Hebrew sort of figure of speech, which means many more than three. However many times it was, there was one answer. Nope. He didn't take it away. And then comes the trust factor. Look what God says. He said to me, my grace is always be sufficient in quality for you for every need. For my power is made perfect in weakness. You see the trust in there? That's where the trust, that's where the rubber meets the road. We saw last week that the Apostle Paul did what many of us do when we face circumstances. He said the prayer of subtraction. How many of us have the prayer of subtraction? Lord, take this away. Take it away. Take it away. Take it away. Subtract this from my life. Please take it away. And God's like, no, we're not going to have subtraction. In fact, your transformation is based on addition. My grace into this. You're trusting my grace being sufficient. I'm adding that. It's, it's new. As a new believer, as a new creation, bring my grace, add my grace into your life, into your every circumstance. Many times, again, we have picked up along the line that as followers of Jesus, whenever anything bad happens, we automatically pray for subtraction. Isn't that what Jesus is supposed to do? Didn't he say, take up your cross, follow me, and I'll subtract every bad thing from your life? No, in fact, I think in John 16, he says, hey, uh, by the way, Mark, in this world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Right. So right away, last week, we were challenged with (sighs) breaking the habit of the prayer of subtraction and now making it the prayer of addition of God's grace and sufficiency in everything. Amen. That is revolutionary. Some of you, that was revolutionary. Someone came up to me after last service last Sunday and said, you know what? In this circumstance, I have been praying the prayer of subtraction all these years. I get it. Person that's been walking with Jesus faithfully, going through circumstances, unchanging circumstances, painful circumstances, did not realize that they had fallen into just a habitual prayer of subtraction. And all along, God's like, 
bring me into it. Bring my grace into this. Let me change you and not the circumstance. That's transformation. That's where the transformation happens when we rest in the sufficiency of God's grace, supernatural power in our circumstance. Not keep praying for him to subtract it. Amen? See, no one wants to say amen to that because it's like, oh, really? Right there. That could be a takeaway again for some who just heard that. Are most of your prayers prayers of subtraction? Or are you praying for God to bring his grace and his supernatural enablement into it? To change you. To change you. Right? And what happened to Paul? Radical. I only put up that verse, that passage again. Look what happened to Paul. He says, therefore, in verse, verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my powers may... Then he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, there's this radical transformation that happens to Paul. Suddenly, he views everything differently. Suddenly, he views things through the lens of what? Grace. When he says he boasts in his weaknesses, when he says he delights in it, it's not some crazy masochistic thing. He's saying, you know what? Here's the deal. I get it. He's like, how many have ever had one of those aha moments? Like, ah, I get this. The Apostle Paul has an aha moment. I said, I get this. When I'm at the end of my rope, when when, when I'm all done and I come to the end of myself, when I'm weak, I finally get this. God is strong. And as his strength works in and through me, he gets the glory. And I get transformed. So suddenly, instead of beating himself up repeatedly, oh, dude, you're an idiot. Oh, dude, you're so weak. Oh, dude, I can't believe you can't figure this out. He's like, I embrace all that. We saw a powerful quote by John MacArthur last at the end of last Sunday. He said, you know what, there's not, no one, Paraphrase, no one is too weak to be powerful. The real problem with many of us in the church is we're too strong. We're too strong. We've got to get out of the way. How many of you, if you're honest, kind of tend to tell God, I got this? Anyone? I got this. And when I need you, I know you're there. But God, I got this one. He's like, okay. Apostle Paul has this revolutionary change, transformation. I get it. I embrace my weaknesses. I embrace it because now God gets to work in and through me. He changes me, and everyone goes, what happened to you? You ever had anyone ask you that as a believer? What got into you? I can't believe you used to, you used to cuss all the time these things happened. What happened to you? That's where God gets the glory, amen? That's when we're letting transformation. Now, sounds really good and it is awesome. How many of you find that a bit difficult? Anyone, if you're honest? Like, whoa, that's going to take some time. Anyone? It's called sanctification. Little by little, little by little, it's called sanctification. God gets it. He understands. 
And I thought today it would be good for us to hear from somebody in sanctification. Somebody who's trying to figure out this grace thing and how it applies in his life today. Because sometimes, again, we come to church, we hear it, we get it. We're afraid to admit that it's going to take a while maybe. And then we start to feel guilty and bad because we think we're the only one struggling with it. Anyone hear a message and felt like you're the only one that's probably struggling and not realizing that the person next to you is struggling too? So just turn to the person next to you and say, you too. Let's just be honest, you too. Just, you might as well be honest because we all are, right? Jordan, come up, come up and share. Make us all feel better. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Yeah, as Richie said, my name's Jordan Stuffelbeam. Um, you know, he asked me to share, obviously, a little bit of my own story. And as I didn't know I'd have an introduction like that, because that's basically exactly what I'm going to be sharing. Um, so, some of you don't know, some of you know, I'm not originally from California, and I'm not from Canada either. Uh, <laughs> I'm from Iowa, uh, which is not Idaho or Ohio. And a lot of you get confused, which is kind of weird. <laughs> Californians are weird. Anyways, um, so, yeah, I wanted to share my story really, you know, just in context of grace because it's been a really weird and awkward, challenging thing for me in my life. And a lot of that came from just, you know, as I was young growing up in my household, I learned real quick that, you know, I learned more of the, the ungrace of life than grace. Um, and so I, you know, I quickly had this mindset of, you know, um, man, if you mess up, you know, it, it's really bad. And I learned that a lot from my, you know, my family. And so I had this just mindset of fear of failure, you know, um, you know, having to do everything right. And so that's kind of dominated my life um, for, a, for a long time. And um, so I want to share a story, and it has to do with kind of what I'm wearing because this isn't necessarily my Sunday best. Um, but, um, you know, because I got work pants on and Canada shirt. Um, now Canada's cool, but anyways. So in like fourth grade, fourth or fifth grade, uh, um, I was a part of this choir thing, you know, and it was like girls over here, then they sing, and then the guys over here, you know, they sing. So I was obviously part of the, the guys' choir. But uh, one, you know, one of the practices, they're like, hey, you know, this is what you guys need to wear. And I heard red shirt and black pants. And I was like, got it, because, you know, that's that's simple. That's all I heard. Now, when it came time to uh, for the show, you know, I was horrified to realize that uh, the men or the boys were supposed to wear khaki pants and a, a nice, you know, long sleeve white collar T-shirt, and the girls were supposed to wear the black pants and the red shirt. And I don't know why someone didn't like save me, <laughs> but uh, I was completely horrified. And so, um, I, you know, I really want to have that slide up again on the Second Corinthians, because that's really what this is about. And so I'll, I'll read it again, um, just to let it sink in more, because um, this is kind of like my thorn, you know. So in verse 8, Paul's saying, three times I pleaded with the Lord, you know, about this thorn, you know, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Uh, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, humiliation. Uh, For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Now, this whole thing that, like Richie was saying about, you know, self-reliant, leaning on God. I'm terrible at that. And so I've known about this speech for, I don't know, the past four or five days. And I've been practicing real hard because, you know, I don't like doing this. So I practice really hard and I'm like, I'm doing it. And then literally this morning I wake up and I'm just like, God, like, I need peace. And I just kept praying for peace because, you know, I get anxious. So I don't like seeing all y'all looking at me. Freaks me out. Obviously, I... Okay, well, now you know the story. Um, so anyway, so I'm like asking for peace, and I'm just like, I'm going through this because this verse, it trips me out. I'm like, how can I be weak and strong in the Lord? And so he, he actually really gave me some peace, but he also gave me peace about saying, you should change your story because you have that all figured out in your strength, but what about mine? And so I was brought really to this point of like, man, I really want to follow God. I want to trust him. And, and here I was on, like, you know, kind of the, uh, what's it called, the threshold, as you will, of really saying, I trust God. And that's why I was late this morning. And so I'm going through all this. I'm just thinking about it. And I really just come to realize, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm wearing my weakness. And, and, that's, and that's okay. Like, this is part of walking with God and really following Jesus is, you know, we all have our red shirt, black pants moments, and we often are like, God's not here, and he's not, you know, he's not here with me. So, like, this is just a, a little bit of my story of just, like, something that I struggle with right now as, you know, we're going through grace, and it's really hard. And so for me to stand up here and be like, you know, this is my boasting. I'm boasting in my weakness. Uh, you know, I don't really, I don't really want to. But, you know, God has a way of really growing us and stretching us and really, you know, showing his grace towards us in really, you know, non-human ways because I don't, I don't want to do this. But uh, I'm thankful, you know, that God is, he's meeting me where, I, you know, I'm like, I want to learn, I want to grow. And here he is, you know, teaching me and guiding me and not to rely on fear and not have my life based on that. So I hope that's an encouragement to you guys. You know, as we're going through grace, and getting wrecked by it in a good way, I hope. So, thank you. Wow. That was awesome. Thank you. Uh, We had coffee at 6.30 Monday, and by 7.30 he had said yes to doing that. So, uh... No one's ever going to have coffee with me again. Thank you very much, because I'm going to share my testimony on Sunday. But um, thank you for that. Jordan is a very authentic, transparent young man who uh, is just doing his best to understand grace and, and what that means in the reality of his life and where he is. Thank you for the red-black. That's, that's awesome. How many of you have ever had those moments of humiliation? Classic commercial, want to get away, Right? And, and I love that because, Jordan, it really leads right into to what we wanted to focus on. Because um, the Apostle Paul says that the thorn was given to him to keep him from becoming conceited. In fact, in the New Living Translation, it says, So to keep me from becoming proud, 
I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me, torment me and keep me from becoming proud. And, and really, if you're listening uh, to Jordan's message, uh, the theme throughout this whole idea of grace is pride and humility. Pride and humility. And, and if we're going to be recipients of God's grace, one of the things we're going to have to really deal with is pride. Pride. Right? Now, the thorn was given Paul to keep him from becoming proud because it was a circumstance beyond him to where he had to kind of say, Uncle, I give. But then he says later, I boast in my weaknesses. I delight in insults and persecutions, right? And so there's still, even in that, an issue of pride. How many of us today as we sit here are ready to boast in our weakness? Versus how many of us are still covering up our weaknesses? How many of us are still afraid to show the chink in the armor and and really be honest and transparent in a men's group or a women's group with what's really going on, right? That's great for the Apostle Paul, but, you know, mm, we shared last Sunday about the challenge even in the church when it comes down to, okay, any prayer requests? And because this pride all of a sudden rears its head, we're much more comfortable asking for a prayer, prayer request for someone else. Why are we so scared to share an honest-to-goodness prayer request for one of our weaknesses, for something we're struggling with? What is going on? We talk about grace and everything, and and so I've been thinking about this week. One of the challenges for us is just straight-up pride. The church still struggles with pride, and until we confront pride and the sin of pride, we're going to always battle with being recipients of God's grace because he says, my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness, which means you got to get out of the way, which means, hey, prideful sir or prideful ma'am, you got to humble yourself. If you want God's grace manifested in and through you, if you want his supernatural enablement and empowerment, you know what you got to do? You got to humble yourself. And if you're going to humble yourself, you're going to have to deal with pride. Just pride. In all its varied manifestations, right? In this, in this verse, pride is to lift or raise up over something, to lift oneself up, to become exalted, become haughty. Have haughty eyes. So in, second, and in verse 7, Paul says, hey, to prevent me from becoming haughty and looking down on all you lessers who don't get these revelations that I do, a thorn was given to me. Right? And that's kind of how we typically tend to view pride, looking down on you. I'm up here. You're down there. Right? That is an element of pride, but biblical pride actually has a lot more. We're going to look at manifestations of it. So he's talking in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, hey, to, to, to knock me down a few pegs, this thorn was given. That's what he's talking about, pride there. The Bible has a lot to say about pride. And here's the thing. Pride isn't just a type A, show-off, extrovert thing. It's a heart issue. It's just like greed. Do you know you can be greedy and be very poor? Greed is a heart issue. And you can have a lot of money and be very generous and not be greedy. It's the same thing with pride. It's the same thing with pride. 
so we tend to equate pride with someone who's very show-offy, very boisterous, very talky, very whatever, type A. But you know who can be very proudful as well? The shy and the quiet, the very mild. They can be just as guilty of pride. It's just not overt because it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. The Bible has a lot to say about pride. Satan, right? The whole cause of Satan coming down. Isaiah 14. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Pride. Right? The fall. Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Satan's downfall was caused by his own pride. What was the primary temptation to Adam and Eve? Pride. You'll be God. You will be your own master. Right? Proverbs 11.2. Look what it says up on the screen. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Proverbs 29. Pride ends in humiliation, while humility brings honor, right? Harold Vaughn says, no sin is more offensive to God than the sin of pride. Pride has been referred to as the complete anti-God state of mind. It militates against God's authority, God's law, and God's rule. This is why the Bible equates rebellion with witchcraft. Pride assaults God's throne and asserts its independence in an attempt to dislodge God as the sovereign of the universe. Pride. And then, not only does it impact us, what we call vertically around here, then pride just goes this way into our relationships. Proverbs 13.10, pride leads to conflict. Those who take advice are wise. I love the message version of Proverbs 13. Arrogant know-it-alls stir up discord. But wise men and women listen to each other's counsel. Pride. I came across some information, some articles that really changed this, this view of pride and how it manifests itself in these relationships with people. They call them the sneaky symptoms. These are sneaky symptoms. Can't even say it. Sneaky symptoms of pride. Here you go. Fault finding. Fault finding. You're just a harsh critic of everybody around you. You just find fault in everybody. Harsh spirit. You're just harsh. You're harsh with people. You're superficial. You don't want to get to know anyone. You're just superficial. Superficiality. Attention seeking. Favoritism. You kind of seek out who the players are at work, the influencers, and you just want to hang out with them, right? Defensiveness, slander and gossip, sneaky symptoms of pride. 
right? How does God feel about pride? Proverbs 16, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, that's pride. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Haughty eyes, number one, pride. Right? Proverbs 8.13, all who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Proverbs 16.5, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. This is how God feels about pride. Right? And it's it's amazing because we go, yeah, 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 I get that. How many of you find it much easier to see pride in others except yourself? Anyone? You ever have the classic sitting in church at a sermon like, so-and-so really needs to hear this? Hmm, wonder where that comes from. This would be really good for so-and-so. They really need this. Hmm, check yourself. Where's that coming from? Where's that coming from, right? Pride is willful arrogance, claiming to yourself what is really God's. It is essentially a lust for power, and it is far more prevalent than in rulers alone. Pride besets the commonest of people. It is no respecter of persons or position. In a power-centric society, pride is at the top of the list of sins. Today, many of us are routinely tempted with pride. Much of our very environment seduces us with pride. It is a sin of which we should constantly be aware and seek to restrain. If a person tells me they have no pride, then I know I'm dealing with a person who does not know themselves very well. Or else a person who is in dangerous denial. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, even in the church. That's why I'm very cautious about how nice this place looks. And all the accolades. It's it's so tempting. You can just slide right into that. So quick. So quick. In fact, that was what was happening in, in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul calls out the Corinthian church because they're becoming divisive over who they think is the best speaker. And they have their favorite speakers. And now they're arguing over who's the best. And they're getting filled with pride because they believe that their preacher is the best one. It seeps right into the church. It seeps right into the church. Psalm 10.4. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. That's what makes pride so offensive and so deadly is that the more pride I get, the more I shove God out of the way. And now I become the center. Now it's all about me, right? Pride is an attitude of self-glorification, an attempt to disown his dependence on God. Pride sets the will of the creature against the will of the creator. Pride violates the first commandment to have other gods, to have no other gods before our creator. Pride puts self before God. See, this is why it's such a challenge. We've got to get this. We've got to deal with this. We've got to confront it if we want to live in grace. And according to God's power, we've got to get the pride issue dealt with moment by moment, right? 
This quote really, really challenges me. Pride is a state of mind, or more essentially, a condition of the heart, in which a person has supplanted the rules of God over his life with the rule of his own will. Instead of depending entirely on God, as was God's design, a proud heart now looks to itself to decide what is good and evil. This was exactly the folly of Adam and Eve when they determined to disobey God, to become like God. You see what happens? Pride played out ultimately results in me deciding good and evil, right and wrong. In me deciding what's legitimate and what's not. That's, that's why pride is so offensive and detestable to God. Because now you're telling God what he should or shouldn't do. Because now what? You're playing God. The same thing that happened to Satan, the same thing that happened in the garden, the same thing that tempts us over and over and over daily. It's a heart issue, right? It's a heart issue. Independence and rebellion. These are kind of these manifestations of pride. And it says this, the sinful nature leads us to desire independence, and we rebel at the thought of being under anyone's control or authority. Anyone love being under anyone's control or authority? How many just love that? Right? How many of you, when, when you were growing up in school, the teacher said, don't do this, and you just knew you had to do it? Or you had to get as close to the line. Anyone touch the liners? Right? Don't cross the line. Billy, Billy, I'm here, teacher. I'm right here, teacher. Because he's a rebel. Right? So this is Billy in school. He would get to the line, and I'm sure, teacher turns. Right, right, right? All right. Right, that's Billy in school. Hey, guys, 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 watch this. That's pride. We, we just want to throw off authority. We want to throw off feeling like we're being told what to do. And yet, as believers in Jesus, we come into a covenant relationship, and we've seen the word, diatheke, greater to lesser. And how many, I don't know about you, but it takes a supernatural empowering of God's grace in my life to do this. Okay. Anyone? Okay. Yield. Surrendering, right? So there's this element of pride. And, and then there was the other side of pride, because many of us may not be this overt independence, rebellion. We get that. But there's another side of pride that I came across this week that just really challenged me as well. Isaiah 51.12 says this. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you? That you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass. In the New Living it says, I, yes, I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? You know what he's saying here? The fear of man is pride. Anyone ever come barging into your room or your office and you, and you had this thought, who are you? Anyone ever say, who do you think you are? Right? A who do you think you are moment? 
God's saying this to us. Now, read, let me read the verse again and get that in your head, Isaiah 51, 12. I, even I, God, am he who comforts you. Now he's talking to us. Who do you think you are that you fear mere mortals, human beings who are but grass? When I am so afraid of what he thinks about me or she thinks about me, that I choose to limit my obedience or to straight disobey, that's pride. When I'm more scared about what he and he and she thinks about me than honoring God and doing what he wants, then I'm guilty of pride is what that's saying. See, God says, I'm the comforter. But when I am being driven by fear of man, who's the comforter? Me. Being driven by fear. So if I, God says, go over there and talk to that person, share your faith. Oh, oh, what, oh, what if they yell at me? What if they ask me a question? I don't know. What if they hit me? I don't know what they're, whatever, what, whatever we trip on, right? What if, oh, I can't. Oh, oh. He's like, okay, who's God here? Who are you really trusting? Are you trusting me as the comforter, the protector, the guide? Are you trusting my sufficiency? Or are you trusting yourself and your own understanding? And are you the comforter? Is fear your comfort? Have you decided in your life that fear is the comforter? And so you're going to protect and you're going to be the guide. And you're going to decide how far you're going to go versus, okay, Lord, you said your grace is sufficient. Here I go. Which one requires faith? Where's the faith? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Oh, they're going to be mad at me. Oh, they might be insulted. Oh, they might yell at me. Oh, they might not like me. Oh, they're going to call me a crazy Christian. Oh, I'm staying here because I decided this is where my fear, I can only go this far. I'm choosing to protect myself. Versus, Okay, Lord, you say your grace is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in weakness. Here I go. Which one results in transformation? Which one results in bondage and keeps you stuck? Right? Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of human opinion disables Trusting in God protects you from that. Can I be honest with you? This is where the church is just so consumed with fear. That's why we can't share honest prayer requests. We're so scared of human opinion in the church. It's crazy. I asked Betty if I could share with her her journey over the last couple of years of learning to pray out loud on Tuesday nights. She struggles. She could come up here and talk about her struggle. She has been terrified, terrified to open her clothes in prayer on a Tuesday night. Sheer terror. One time I caught her off guard over the summer. She didn't know. I said, Betty, can you open us? <laughs> She gave it a shot. 
gave it a shot. I thought it was fine. I get an email the next day. Can I try again next Tuesday? Now I realize I just have to give her a week of prep. Betty, can you, can you open next Tuesday? And she'll take it to heart. And she'll sometimes come with it written down. And, but see, she's working through it. And she and I are very honest. I said, Betty, that's just pride. You are just so scared of what this group thinks about your prayer. And Betty, stand up a sec. Stand up a sec. I'm going to make you feel very comfortable. If you in this room, no, if you in this room share the same terror about praying out loud for fear of human opinion about your prayer, put your hand up. You feel better? You feel better? Okay, have a seat, right? Where does it come from? What is that? Right? Now, to her credit, she still struggles with it, but two or three times now she has shared the devotion at the gardens. She has taught at the gardens to the ladies there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So in her weakness, God is being glorified. In her weakness, she's still, if I were to say, Betty, can you pray on Tuesday? Her heart just went like this. You don't see it, but I see it. It's just like that. She's embraced it. She's embraced it. We have a good chuckle about it. She calls, she emails me or Tyler. She has embraced this weakness, and we work with her through it to the point where she shares the Devo two or three times at the gardens, does the teaching, does the teaching, and still struggles with praying on Tuesday here in front of you. Go figure. But what is that? And she knows I can speak bluntly to her. It's just pride. It's just pride. It's fear of human opinion versus God's opinion. It's choosing to live in self-protection and it's choosing to limit my obedience rather than crossing the line and being exposed and having to rely on God. That's, that's all it comes down to. What in, what in your life is God calling you to do and you're right here and everything in you is about... Eileen, put up the, um, the self slide self at the middle i put four p's that tend to drive us when self is at the middle pleasure protection power or pride pick one or more that prevent you from launching out into god's grace which one drives you for me any given day could be all four all of the above am i living for myself am i trying to protect myself is it about power and control or is it about my pride when self is on the throne, I am hamstrung by one or more of those. It is a step of faith. It is a conscious choice to cross the line and be fully exposed and fully relying on God's grace in that moment. Remember what Paul says in that Second Corinthians 12? He delights in insults. Insults. One of our biggest thing, right? How many are afraid of just someone saying an insulting thing to you? Oh, that was a dumb prayer, Betty. That's what she thinks you think. Right? That wasn't very well. That wasn't very eloquent. Insults. Where, 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 is, where is God calling you to step out? First Peter 5, 5, 7 says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Here it is. For God opposes the proud, 
but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. It's a choice we have to make. Now we're going to look at this in a couple weeks again, this idea of pride. When it says God opposes the proud, you know what that means? That's a military term. It means to assemble in battle array. So it kind of means if you're living in pride, God has assembled in battle array against you continually. That's pretty weighty. It means he's gone to battle. He's in opposition to you. Ray Stedman says, it scares me to think that whenever I'm trying to live for myself, for my own advancement, that God is lined up against me. He resists that kind of thinking. Oh, my gosh. But then it says he gives grace to the humble. And what is humility? Biblical humility is this. Just thinking correctly about yourself in light of God. Biblical humility isn't beating yourself up. Oh, you idiot. Oh, you're such a fool. I can't believe you. That is not humility. True humility, right, is a proper estimate of yourself in relation to God and others. You are God. I am not. That's humility. Just just an honest assessment. Final quote. Humility then does not so much consist in thinking badly of ourselves as in not thinking of ourselves at all. The humble person forgets self and looks at the Lord Jesus Christ, the only one who is truly worthy of all my thoughts. That's where humility starts. Take your eyes off yourself. Put it on Jesus, who humbled himself even to death, death on a cross. And what does it say in Philippians? That out of that humility, God raised him up. Right? So this morning, how are you doing with pride? Is pride an obstacle to you receiving God's grace? Maybe it's the the type A, hey, look at me. Maybe, for many of us, it's the, I am so cotton-picking scared of what people think of me. I am just tied up in knots. And maybe today is the first time you saw that as pride. Because you realize that that fear is causing you to choose not to trust God in obedience. You are still God in that area. You have chosen what's safe. You have chosen how to protect yourself out of fear. And you've hardened it up. And in that area, it's pride because you're still playing God. Maybe this morning God's like, would you give that to me? Would you humble yourself? And trust that my grace is sufficient in that area. Trust him. And you're, you're, I'm going to tell you right now, your heart's going to beat. You might breathe. <sighs> right, Betty? <sighs> I always know when she's about to pray when I ask her because she's real quiet before. And she's like, right? Because she's getting ready. But she does it. She does it. Anyway. And Jordan, thank you, because you do it anyway. In your weakness, you both do it anyway. And God gets the glory. Amen?
Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, that um, it is sufficient for all things. And yet, pride, pride just seems to rear its ugly head in every area constantly. Whether it's the pride of self-exaltation or maybe the pride of self-protection. In either case, we're not trusting you. In either case, it's all about me seeking my best interests. It's all about me trusting in me. And so, as we sing this song, we have a time of confession this morning. It's pride. It's putting self at the center. Even to the place where we can't even... We can't even pray out loud in a circle because we're so scared of what people are going to think about us. We can't even worship freely because we're so scared of what we sound like. We can't even ask for a prayer request because we're so scared of what they're going to think about me if I really share a weakness. Oh, God, set us free. Set us free from being consumed with pride. And may we just turn our attention to you, Jesus. Take our eyes off of us. Look at you and truly trust that your grace is sufficient and that your power is made perfect in our weakness.